0: more data beats better algorithms.
1: Okay, welcome back to the Marketing Playbook presented by Details Interactive and Parity and Element. Here you'll take away three game-winning marketing plays every episode to take back to your team. I'm your host, Mark Friedman, and my career has been focused on direct-to-consumer marketing, direct mail, physical retail, and digital commerce. This is episode number 87, and today's guest is Shireen Halal. Shireen is currently the chief product officer of BlueCore and has held a number of roles in technology-focused companies that have served the retail vertical. She's full of energy and really brings some great conversation to the show today. Before we get started, a quick thank you, as always, to Max Branstetter of the Wild Business Growth Podcast for producing this episode. You can reach him at max at maxpodcasting.com to help bring your podcast to life. Let's open the playbook. Ready, break. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining the Marketing Playbook Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Shireen Hilal, who is the Chief Product Officer at Bluecore. In this role, Shireen leads the vision, design, and commercialization of products and partnerships with a focus on retail value, market differentiation, and enterprise excellence. Previously, Shireen was the VP of product marketing at Curate, a content intelligence platform that makes images shoppable. Prior to Curelate, she served as the senior director of product and product marketing for BlueKai and later Oracle following the company's acquisition, where she defined and developed the data as a service category. I don't often share on the show schools and degrees that the guests uh, have had, but in this case, I feel compelled. Shireen holds a master's degree in applied math and systems from Columbia University and a BS in applied math from Cornell University. She's got some serious math degrees. Shereen, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me.
1: You know, I thought I was a math guy growing up, but only because I could do two plus two in my head. Um, <laughs> I think that you've got me beat by just a bit.
0: You know, what's interesting is I, I wasn't a math girl growing up. Like I did a lot of arts and and creative work and I never liked to attend things like math classes and it really wasn't high school that I got into it.
1: You know, we start these shows uh, all the time, as, as uh, longtime listeners will know, you know, getting that first story uh, from the guest, you know, and perhaps there were some things in your upbringing that might have suggested where you would end up or the path that your career would take. So was there somebody that was, you know, a real math person in your life that pushed you in that direction?
0: yeah. so my my dad uh, was a math professor for a long time before he got into software and and engineering and ended up at microsoft for for a long time. But, you know, I actually think the origin is because they're they're immigrants. so my both my parents come from Egypt, and, you know, numbers are a much easier way to communicate than words. And so we lived in a very like a household that really focused on expression through quantity and and through value. And so that's how you knew if something was working or not working in the house is like, we were always talking about numbers. And so that's how I really understand how to express myself uh, to this day. And I think, you know, we kind of live in a world where value is expressed in quantities. And so I always thought it was really powerful to be able to understand that concept at a really deep level.
1: You mentioned uh, speaking of numbers. You have a grandma who's uh, coming up on a big birthday.
0: That's right. Yeah, so she is about to turn a hundred. My grandma on my dad's side, so my dad's mom, and she was actually the first woman in Egypt to go to college. So there's a, definitely a big emphasis on education in, in my family. I think I'm the least educated person in my entire in my entire family.
1: Oh that's amazing as as we were getting started on the show you know you were saying you were excited and i said you know in the handful of times that i have seen you you have always been excited and it sounds like grandma thinks you're always excited also
0: that is i'm i'm a i'm an optimistic excitable person like i i feel like everything is an opportunity and uh, even when we are preparing and like talking about you know this podcast and the content for it there's just a lot of things to share, I think, around the, the state of marketing and technology. And anytime I get the opportunity to do that, I, I think my energy levels are high.
1: Well, that, that's, uh, that's good. And we're going to figure out how the math plays into all of this in a bit. Let's go back to uh, early part of uh, your career coming out of uh, school. The first job you had was doing what?
0: I graduated a bit early, and so I couldn't really find a job. Um, And so I ended up doing a master's in applied mathematics. And I started to write a paper, like my thesis paper, on uh, data models. And at the time, stochastic modeling was a really big trend. Like data science wasn't as popular as, as it is today. And Condé Nast, you know, massive publisher, they were starting to build out an ad network. And they were going to the universities to try to find... Um, you know, grad students that they could work with to build out this ad network so that they could do programmatic bidding, which there weren't really supply side platforms at the time that were really doing anything like that. So I got my first job at Condé Nast and I had no idea what I was doing working at a publisher, but they felt strongly that they wanted to invest in data and algorithms as a way to monetize their online presence. And so I ended up on the publisher side very early on.
1: And then after that, it was a very long line, has been a very long line of providers, vendors. Um, as people have known me, I talk about that as the dark side um, mm-hmm. because I've been on the brand side you know, for all of my career, never really been on uh, the side of the business that you have. Well, early on, it was Blue Kai. So what kind of a business was Blue Kai?
0: Yeah, so actually, I, I met um, Omar Tawakul, who was the CEO of Blue Kai when I was at Condé. Uh, he was just starting to launch what was called the Blue Kai Data Exchange. So it was the first third-party data exchange. It used cookie-level data and this universal taxonomy to make it easy for advertisers or publishers to target audiences with more relevant ads. And he was pitching Condé his his product. And you know, I'm on the media side. He's on the data side. And in the meeting, you know, we were kind of nerding out on the data and all of the options to build this really awesome bidding system. And he kind of pulled me aside after and he's like, you are on the wrong side of the equation. Like, this is not about media. You, you need to be on the data side. And I quit my job like that day and I moved to Seattle a week later and I started out Bluekai uh, on the product side with the data teams, uh, focusing on building out this big data marketplace and eventually we privatized the technology and it became the first data management platform or DMP. And that really was the software for managing that anonymous cookie data that brands used to have and, and used to really focus on before, you know, the closed gardens of Facebook came into play and, and everyone focused on on email.
1: What did he say that had you to, you know, make, make a change?
0: yeah so he had one line uh, that I will always remember, and it was More data beats better algorithms and I believe that like i I had fundamentally believed that throughout my my you know life, and especially when you're working on building models, I think a lot of people think AI is this like crystal ball, and that oh man, if you have AI or you have models, you have this like untouchable mythical thing, and it's like the algorithm and the model is completely dependent on the data that feeds into it and how that data is structured and the quality of that data. And so everyone you know, is peddling algorithm A and algorithm B, especially in the early days of ad tech, but really the difference on performance is the data that's feeding into it. And so he had recognized that early. He was building just an amazing company, he had a great team of people behind him with insane pedigrees and I just knew, like, I, I just knew I had to be at that company.
1: You know, you, you mentioned, you know, sh- the structure of the data, you know, one of the challenges I'm the marketer, right. And, you know, I've, have, have tried to do, you know, deals with technology companies, you know, throughout my career and, you know, at, at different stops along the way on the brand side, we've had different levels of quality of data. And it's really hard because you might want to work with a great partner like BlueCore or anybody else for that matter. And if your data is not clean and can't be consumed in a structured way, it kind of puts you behind an eight ball, doesn't it?
0: I see so many RFPs where people are looking for new software and new platforms. And there's this belief that if you kind of rip and replace one system and you replace it with another system, you're going to be able to unlock some awesome potential for for your business but if it's built on the same data you are shuffling deck chairs around and so oftentimes there is an uncomfortable but necessary conversation of like what is feeding that software like what is making that data usable through all of these big investments that you're making and you know there was a cmo at a retailer i will not name but like top 100 retailer And I remember her telling me that they spend more money on mannequins than on software, like technology, data, data technology. And I was like, oh, (laughs) that that's really indicative, though, of I think the problem that you're describing.
1: Oh, I, I, you know, it's funny you used mannequins, but I could rest assured that we could come up with lots of companies that are spending way more on photography and models and imagery to create the brand or to, you know, continue the brand story as opposed to, you know, data and understanding their customer and being able to find ways, you know, to speak to the customer more, more effectively. Um, that would be easy for us to find. Go back to uh, Blue Kai. So you guys get acquired um, by Oracle and you've had a, a, a couple of, uh, you've been on both si- sides of transactions. Help the listeners understand, You know, some of them are, are early in their career, may get consumed by another company. How do you deal with being acquired by a larger company?
0: Uh, and it was probably one of the most formative experiences that I I had in terms of understanding how to globally scale technology. So so I think the, the first thing is, you know, when BlueKai was acquired by Oracle, Oracle had no concept of digital or anonymous data at all. So there was the Oracle Marketing Cloud that was comprised of like Eloqua and responses at the time. They understood email marketing and they understood as well that there was a whole universe of paid advertising out there that they weren't getting a cut out of. And the idea was by bringing in Bluekai, you had the ability to to make sense out of anonymous data and known email data, and kind of create that 360 view of the customer and everything you know every every brand is looking for. Uh, but because there wasn't this idea of of what is digital and what is a cookie, everything was categorized as email. And so it's like, how do I upload the cookie data? And it's like, no, no, it, it lives in the cloud. Like you're not, you're not uploading anything. It's, it's, we're sending it servers to server. And, and here's how you track uh dynamic data versus uh static data. And there was a lot of education we we had to do. And um, I would say the biggest lesson for me is to like advocate for your technology because it's easy to settle into the gravity of a company that's that big. And I would say the most like, I don't know, transformative thing we we did is we created the Oracle Data Cloud. So, you know, Oracle's whole tagline was software and hardware engineered to work together. And when we realized how much data was being overlooked in that conversation, what we pitched is data, hardware, and software engineered to work together. And the data as a service category kind of grew out of that notion. Now, of course, third-party cookies and advertising and that whole landscape has majorly changed in the past decade um, but at the time, it really forced a conversation of, you know, as a brand, do you understand your shopper or do you understand your media? And the goal should be to understand your shopper. And then the media will be matched effectively if you can bring that, that those elements to life.
1: While you were at Oracle, um, you were involved in some pretty significant acquisitions. Can you talk about which ones you were involved in uh, helping to evaluate?
0: I was there from, let's see, I think 2013 to 2018. Um, so I was involved in almost $2.5 billion of of acquisition. So that include, included DataLogix, which had CPG retail, automotive data, a really strong measurement product and integrations into what at the time we called reg-based providers like Facebook and, and Google. So where you could match on email. CrossWise, which was an identity graph. Kind of device graph solution to help connect uh, different identities from like your desktop to your mobile device. Um, We had Moat, which was a viewability and kind of technology around ad quality, uh, and Add This, which was another kind of data provider. So again, like almost, I think, $2.5 billion. And we just created the largest data company in the world. And it taught us a lot about the value. Of verticalization. Like that's where my passion for building verticalized technology came from is I came from the SaaS world where even though we were building data products, we were building it for every type of brand. Like I had, you know, we had customers like Dell and then we had customers like Chase and customers like Marriott and every industry was kind of served through the data marketplace. And we would focus on getting data providers and the technology right for them As part of our our roadmap investments. Then when we acquired these data companies, it became clear there's a huge opportunity to specialize your data to unlock vertical problems. So retail has very different problems than CPG. That has very different problems than auto. And if you build the right data products, you can make the software much better. And, And that's kind of where the passion for that came from.
1: Element is an award-winning advertising agency optimizing e-commerce campaigns around profit. In fact, they've helped 13 of their customers get acquired, with one selling for nearly $800 million and one that IPO'd recently. Plus, they were ranked as the 12th fastest growing agency in the world by Adweek. If you're an e-commerce business that needs help scaling your ads profitably, check them out at element.com, spelled E-L-U-M-Y-N-T.com you leave oracle and you head to another provider curilate what was curilate
0: yeah so by by that time i knew i i wanted to focus on solving retail problems and oracle and the data cloud they gave me a lot of visibility into the different industries and i thought retail was the most exciting um because you have the notion of offers and discounts you have the products and and the different skus that people are selling in-store and online it's a massive litmus test for the economy and you also have tons of complexity around distribution and so i thought wow retail is the perfect industry to solve with data and so i was looking at different technologies that believed in retail specific solutions and Curelate came because one of the people I worked with at Oracle became the chief revenue officer over there. And she was telling me a lot about the problems that they were solving, which is like, how do you buy where you are? And more and more where people are buying is in content. So like you're scrolling on Instagram, you're scrolling on Facebook, you're on uh, YouTube or watching a video piece of content being consumed. And it's really hard to shop because it's not the traditional e-commerce experience. And so I I went there to learn about things like computer vision, like how do you do object detection and recognition in content and make it shoppable? And that's where I discovered how difficult and distributed the catalog is for every retailer. So if you are selling a product on uh, Macy's and on Nordstrom and on all these different types of, of retailers you have like 12 different catalog IDs and one product looks different than another product, even if it's the exact same product. And that poses an incredible data challenge that eventually led me to BlueCore.
1: Well, and, and not only is it a challenge there, but, you know, assimilating all the information together, you know, I, I, we'll talk a little bit about when I first you know came to BlueCore. I was at Steve Madden. You're selling product in your own stores, you're selling the same product online and then you're selling that same product at wholesale to a whole litany of of retailers and you're not getting back any of that information at the customer level. So although they are your end consumer, um you know when I first got to Madden, I would ask you know folks, who's our customer? They would say, Macy's. And, and other, you know, <laughs> retailers. It's like, no, that's not your customer. Your customer is, you know, Mark Friedman or whomever. So uh, I, I, I totally get that. Let's talk about this title, director of product. You're now a chief product officer. What's really in the scope of a chief product officer?
0: It's funny how other people like can see you more clearly than you see yourself. I had no aspiration to be in product. Like that, that was never part of my career development or trajectory or like where I thought I saw myself. Um, I always kind of saw myself as the person that would scale the product with our customers. And just the closer you are to the customer, the closer you are to the requirement, like the thing that is causing pain and you start to see patterns and those patterns emerge in recommendations on how we build. And it eventually turned into like, oh, that is what a product person does. Really like the number one thing I focus on as an owner of a product, what in whatever role that is, director, chief, whatever, is how do you eliminate the constraint for the customer? And the constraints for the customer usually are around either data, workflow, or reporting. Like those are, those are the three things that happen that make it very hard for someone to trust and use technology in a really repeatable way that unlocks what value should be available to them as an end user. And that's kind of like where, again, at BlueCore, we, we started to really double down and say, what are the constraints that make it very hard for a retailer to grow their business and become profitable? And oftentimes it has to do with, how easy it is to action off of shopper data, make a recommendation of product and content, and optimize that to drive purchase frequency. And today, if you ask most retailers how they accomplish that, it's like four or five different systems. It's weeks of time. There's a calendar you know, pasted somewhere on someone's wall that people meet on every Monday morning. And it's just a highly manual process that's really not built for digital. And, and that's Kind of what we focus on at Bluecore.
1: Yeah, and you know what's interesting to to me, or has been interesting to me, is you know all these you know companies that have you know come to exist over these last you know ten or fifteen years in the digital space. They make it seem like it's easy for the retailer. Use us, and we're going to solve your problem. And in so many cases, I feel like the miss at least in in the ones that I've you know gotten invested in, is they can tell us what to do, but the activation and making it management actionable is really the tough part. And the businesses that you know sometimes buy these you know tools forget about the fact that you're going to need people on your side, on the brand side to actually make them sing. And you're going to need more people, not less people, perhaps, to do the creative work and the content work to be able to action the data. How do you? We'll, we'll come to Bluecore specifically, but as you think about what I just said, how do you help your customers do exactly that?
0: Yeah, I mean, so the first is is that uncomfortable conversation, and and again, like if we get an RFP from a brand, we don't just fill out that RFP. We could. You know, it it would be easier to just check the boxes and, and say the right thing. But oftentimes, the RFP is describing the system they're moving away from. So they're saying, hey, I'm in a system like Salesforce, and here are the 30 things Salesforce does and the two extra things I think I need to do. And oftentimes, it's not considering the outcome that the retailer is looking to accomplish. The people are seen as, as driving the outcome, and the system is more facilitating the people when in, instead the state of technology right now is it should be able to drive the outcomes. And so oftentimes there's criteria that is really over evaluated and then a bunch of other things that are really under evaluated. So oftentimes like the very first thing we're doing is we're having a conversation with the CMO or the CDO or the CTO, and we're saying, what are your comps? Like what are what, what's the goal you have for your business and your shopper next year? And then we tend to be advising on the state of their stack, not just the system that we may be replacing, but the overarching system. And oftentimes what what you find is that the, the system that is being replaced is the most downstream thing that the marketer is touching, but the problem is really way farther upstream. And so again, it's like that shuffling deck chairs mentality. Um, and, And usually we just orient it to like, are you trying to drive more efficiency or more revenue? While most people would like to say both, typically you're optimizing for one. And that really helps us direct kind of attention to the things that matter
1: most. Thriving brands today have one thing in common. They make it a priority to understand their customers. Imperity uses AI to unify customer data and help businesses know exactly who their customers are and what they care about most. Find new customers, grow loyalty, get better return on ad spend, and manage privacy compliance. An accurate, unified customer data foundation connected with the teams and tools that need it makes everything you do with customer data work better. Build your strategy on Imperity, the platform for customer data. Learn more at imperity.com. We jumped into the Blue Core pool before I teed it up, and that's my <laughs> fault. I guess I'm a bad moderator, but let's go back to Blue Core. So, you joined uh, Blue Core in 2018. Maybe give us a quick overview of what Blue Core was then, why you joined, and then we can talk a little bit about what it is today.
0: Yeah. So, what Blue Core was being marketed as versus what it was is very different. So so what we were being marketed as in 2018 when I joined was something called trigger mail. And the idea was that BlueCore was able to uniquely action on online signal to trigger email communications. And if you are in a traditional marketing system, again like a Salesforce or a responses or a cheetah you are managing lists. And when you manage lists, it's very hard to bring an online signal to launch a triggered or automated campaign. And so Bluecore became this companion to all of these list based systems to help drive real-time triggered communication. But under the hood of it, that that's what was compelling to me. So when I first heard about Bluecore, I was like, email is so boring. there's no there's no way I'm going to work out. Like I came from ad tech is like so fast paced. There's like, huge budgets and huge willingness to test. And then you're going into the email space. And the first set of email marketers I talked to were like cutting lists all day. And and I was like, I'm not going to join an email company. And then I talked to uh, the co-founders and they walked me through the technology. And under the hood was this incredibly powerful retail data model that was in real time connecting a shopper to a product. And I had just come from Curate, where people are manually tagging images with product SKUs. So, so you're like, you know, you're a, a top ten retailer working with us at Curate at the time. Like the biggest sportswear company in the world is working with us, and they are manually tagging the most famous shoe in the world on every single image that they are pushing out into the into the public sphere. And here BlueCore is, and they're doing it in an automated way. And it's right every single time. And it's generating predictions about what the shopper will will do next. And I was like, holy shit. Like I was, my mind was just blown. Um, And so I was like, you guys need product marketing. Like you need someone to come in and be like, change how you orient towards your customer and how they pay you. <laughs> because we had, you know, I I was a big deep, deep deep believer in performance-based uh, pricing models where it's like you win when your customer wins. And that's what I did. So I we came in, I got rejected from the role twice. I would like I I just have to publicly shame Fize every single time on this. I got I got rejected twice from from this role. Finally made it the third time around. And I was very persistent because I really felt there was something here. Um, The very first thing we did is we opened up the product. So instead of having, as a customer, you have to like choose which campaigns you launch and everyone could get access to everything. And then you paid for performance. And it just started to transition us from a companion to other systems, to a standalone system that could become open and was more focused on shopper than channel. Uh, And I think that was the beginning of how we began to grow as a more enterprise technology.
1: And my first uh, interactions uh, with BlueCore was, you know, as an email trigger um, and a little bit of predictive, but, you know, definitely it was, um, they were a leader. Uh, very early on in the space, yeah, and I will—I'll uh, make sure next time I talk to Fize to tell him uh, that you publicly <laughs> shamed him. Just you know, something I wasn't planning to talk about, but you mentioned that you know this pay for performance, you know, kind of model—is that hard? You know, I, I know myself being both a marketer and having a financial background, you know, pay performance is great. If you can really measure it, and if you can measure the incrementality truly, um, does that present challenges for you? Convincing people to pay for performance?
0: Oh yeah, it, I, there's two headwinds. One is just it's different than what exists, right? So I, I think you know most people are used to paying on send volume, um, whether that's an email or it's an SMS program or an ad program. And, and so it's, you know, it feels easier to forecast, but oftentimes like one, you're paying for sends, not delivers. So when you start to orient people to the absurdity of the model of like, Hey, you're not even paying for the outcome you're paying to use the pipes, uh, that helps. And then the other piece that I think helps around challenging the status quo is you're making less per send every day. So, so. When you orient to the unit of like revenue per email or revenue per message, and you're seeing that you're sending more and making less, you start to realize that the business model is built to help the partner and not to help you. So so it it definitely requires a conversation. It was not easy, especially the first year. Um, But I think over time, it helped our brands understand that we were a different type of company. And they also held us accountable in a very different way. So like if you look at our customer success teams, um, they're gold on performance. Like their focus is driving revenue for our brands. And if they don't drive revenue for our brands, we don't hit our number. And so it it just, it kind of changes the mindset of how the whole company operates when you have a business model like
1: that. As you think about, you know, what you guys are, you you talked about, you need product marketing. Um, So changing the mentality from it being a a trigger, are you a CDP today? How do you characterize yourself? How do you define yourself? Do you feel like you need to define yourself?
0: I'll give you the the straight answer, but first I'm going to give you the the Shereen answer. So there's this um, really like famous, kind of concept in in product marketing, it's the unicorn concept. So it basically goes like, you know, uh, there's a name for a a horse with a horn on its head. It's called a unicorn. That doesn't mean I can get you one. So like the CDP, the concept of a CDP is really like single source of truth. Bluecore is not a single source of truth, and we are not trying to be a single source of truth, nor do we believe that a single source of truth as a technology will ever exist, nor should it exist um but we are a customer data platform we we manage customer data but we also manage product data and we make it actionable in one system and so oftentimes i have the luxury as as the product person not always pitching <laughs> brands um to be like hey we're not an esp but we drive email revenue you know we're not a cdp but we drive customer revenue but yes the straight answer is like yes we are a cdp we manage customer and product data and we activate that data, which is very unlike a traditional CDP platform.
1: When you talked about, you know, before about, you know, measurement and you think about customer success and how you want to be evaluated, what are the the kind of the metrics internally that you're thinking about to know that you're doing, not Shireen specifically, but that Blue Core is doing a good job for their customers?
0: Oh, great question. So there there's like four, and I would say, regardless of whether or not you work with Blue Core, like as a digital marketer, or a retail marketer, like these are the four things I would really encourage you look at. First is identification rate. Most brands we talk to think of their identification rate as their CRM database. So they're like, oh, well, I have a hundred percent identification rate. And it's like, yes, of your purchasers. There is the whole 90% of your non-purchasers out there that you need to be able to reach. And you need to be able to reach them with paid and with email and with SMS and determine the right channel. And product and offer and recommendation to get them to that first and then second purchase. So identification rate is a huge one. Uh, the second one, one I would say is purchase frequency. So purchase frequency, again, this, this one and done buyer problem where you spend a ton to get someone to buy once. You don't even get payback on that acquisition cost. And then they never buy again, maybe because they bought on an offer or you never re-engage them. That's a big technology failure. And I think purchase frequency is a great metric to look at. And then the last one I would say is cross category buying. So, you know, a huge determinant of future purchase is whether or not someone buys a second category within a a short window of time. And there's very few brands that I work with that only have a single category. And usually, if if that's the case, then it is going to be a more acquisition focused Uh, like business strategy. But for for most brands, I would say identification rate, purchase frequency and cross category buying get you 90% of the way there.
1: When you and I spoke, uh, a few weeks ago, um, we talked about customer movement, and it was a Friday afternoon. And I remember you saying, "Geez, what are we going to spend ninety minutes talking about?" And we had a really—I uh, thought it was a tremendously interesting uh, conversation. So I wanted to give you an opportunity here to, you know, kind of briefly talk about, you know, Bluecore's customer movement and how you're thinking about what that is and and how it'll be valuable to current customers and potential customers.
0: Yeah so so customer movement is the articulation of how you move a shopper through your purchase funnel. Most customer analytics and systems are focused on purchase data. So again like your CRM system, your ESP, your e-com platform, your transaction or POS system, all of it is oriented to people who already bought. And that just creates a huge opportunity to move your non-buyers in a more effective way. And oftentimes, when you organize your teams and your budgets by channel, you miss an opportunity to see where things fall in between the seams. And that's your shopper. That's your shopper opportunity. So at BlueCore, what we do is we are channel agnostic. And one of the first uh, initiatives that we have with every customer we work with is what we call a customer movement analysis. We look at five years worth of their data pre-engagement, right? This is just like what we want retailers to orient against. And we are able through that view of that five years of data to tell you very definitively where there's the biggest missed opportunity in driving outcomes against your shoppers. So sometimes it is an acquisition problem. Sometimes it's a purchase frequency problem. Sometimes you're overspending on paid for people who are already going to buy and your retention campaigns are just too weak. Uh, Maybe you're not implementing some of the best practices to help people discover products and new categories or you're not measuring effectively. So there's so many things that you can diagnose if you look at the the data a retailer has. And what's great is a lot of brands are making investments in centralizing that data. And so the, the benefit of that is you can now run these types of analyses and really figure out the best opportunity of where to start.
1: So how do you now evangelize you know, this customer movement? It's a, a change in the message of what Blue core is. Um, you need to demonstrate that you have, you know, I don't want to say pivot, maybe that's your word, pivoted a little bit or broadened, you know, the capabilities that you bring to market. How do you get that message out? Yeah,
0: you know, I, I think it's the hard work, <laughs> you know, like like I talk to probably one to two retail executives a day. And I would say most of our team at BlueCore is like constantly talking to the retail community. I mean, that's how even you and I met, right, is is, is where, you know, making sure that we have a good understanding from the retail experts that are out there in the world, what it is that retailers need and, and kind of sharing it. The, the nice thing is because we're just focused on retail and really the top 1000 retail brands in the world, that's a very defined community. You know what I mean? It's not a small community, but it's a defined community, and so, you know, we're we're kind of offering this out to all of our brands, and that includes a lot of proof of concepts. Like one of the things I really encourage every brand to do as well is the proof of concept. If a tech vendor is telling you that what they're great at is X or Y, and they can't deliver X or Y to you in a reasonable amount of time for you to assess if X or Y is valuable. They're probably not that good at it, Uh, and it it wouldn't be a reason to to partner with them.
1: Well, you just made my summary of my show a bit easier because that's a great takeaway. Uh, Listeners know that uh, at the end of the show, I give three key takeaways that they can take back to their personal or business lives, and I think we've got quite a few here. So we're down to the end of the show. Uh, I ask uh, seven questions, one word answer. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. All right. A brand that you admire or that inspires you? Uh, Costco. Wow, that's my wife's favorite place. I don't know that it inspires her though. Oh, man.
0: Yeah, we have a value as simple as possible, as powerful as necessary. And man, Costco, they just embody that.
1: Okay, there you go. Favorite app on your phone?
0: Amazon Music.
1: Last website other than Amazon that you shopped from?
0: Um, shun Cutlery. I got a Nurakami chef's knife.
1: Something that you're not good at, but wish that you were.
0: <laughs> Patience.
1: <laughs> I thought you were going to say cooking, and then I was going to want <laughs> to know why you bought that really nice knife. But okay. Charitable organization that you're passionate about.
0: Mm, World food program. UN backed. I think nothing is more dehumanizing than hunger.
1: If you had one superpower, what would it be?
0: teleportation. I feel like it's everyone's, but I'd be mine. We,
1: we've had that one before, for sure. And then other than family, what's your most prized possession?
0: You know, I would say it's my American passport. I think we take for granted how easy it is for us to travel around the world here.
1: Okay. I like that one. And wh- where can people reach out to you on social media, Shereen, if they uh, want to?
0: Only LinkedIn. I have nothing else. <laughs> it is only only LinkedIn. So No
1: digital footprint other than LinkedIn.
0: No, everything else is test accounts for work purposes
1: only. Okay. Well, this was uh, really good, really a lot of fun. And uh, you know, I've really enjoyed getting to know you, um, your passion for what you're doing and uh, for your customers. Uh, It's really very refreshing. So thanks for taking the time with me. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. That's it. Today's game ball goes to Shireen Halal for coming on the Marketing Playbook. To me, today's three game-winning marketing plays were as follows. Number one, If you're a retailer and you're contemplating working with a vendor, work hard to implement a proof of concept. If the vendor is telling you what they can do once they implement fully, you should be assured of seeing those results in the proof of concept as well. Number two, there's the old cliche, you cannot tell a book by its cover. And we heard Shireen speak about her first interactions with BlueCore and her perceptions that they were solely an email provider. It wasn't until she spoke to the co-founders that she fully understood what they were doing. Had she let her perceptions drive her thinking, rather than doing the work to hear what the company was doing, she would not have ended up in this role. And number three, no matter what you're doing, it takes hard work. Shireen spoke about BlueCore and the work that they're doing to change their core business focus. I asked her how they were doing that, and she simply said, it's the hard work of what we're doing, speaking to retailers daily to better understand their needs and how we can serve them. The fact is, there are no shortcuts in anything that we do, and you need to put in the effort. Thank you, Playbook Marketers, for listening to another episode. If you want to check out more pages of the Marketing Playbook, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast spot and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, the devil is in the details.